Welcome to Talking in Stations, recorded live on Twitch, Saturdays, 1500 Universal Time. I'm your host, Matt Arall. Today we're going to talk about war. Is it a continual war, or are there many wars? And this is a preview of a speech I'll be giving at E-Vegas called The Continuum of War, which will be Saturday at noon. So if you're there, don't miss it. But uh, we have a great little panel, and we're going to get going in just a second. But first, I want to say, if you would like to support the show, we'd greatly appreciate it with follow, subscribes, bits, or tips during the show. That's how you do it for all the shows on INN. And if you're listening to the podcast, you can contribute at Patreon slash Matterall. Uh, on behalf of the team, I'd like to thank everybody for their continual support. The speech that I'm going to give at EVE Vegas is going to be about the last five years of EVE Wars because those are the near wars that people would remember that are playing. Sometimes when we talk about 2003 through 2007, it ends up being ancient history to some people and they just don't have the references. The people are gone, mostly, and there's not a lot of connection there. So I thought it might make sense to really do the last five years so that people who are actually playing can see the shadows that still loom from those big fights and uh, all the stuff that came after that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to get to some player news as well. But first, let's introduce the panel, uh, starting with Apotni. Hey guys, I'm Apotni. Uh, I'm a member of Sniggardly in Pandemic Legion. And I also write for CZ and host and commentate and analyze EVE tournament stuff. Carneros? Good morning. I'm Carneros. I'm the CEO of The Bastion, and uh, I make video games in my daily life. Elise? Elise Randolph, a member of Pandemic Legion, and uh, I do lots of nerdy stuff in, in EVE Online. Uh, it's, it's unfortunately too big to, uh, to list off, but I have a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> and Seamus? Hello, I am Seamus Dunahoo, and I hold the title of Professor in the Education Department at Eve University. Great. So, no disrespect meant by having you guys introduce yourselves, it's just so the listeners can understand who your voice is and how it's associated uh, for people who are just getting onto the show. Right. So, um, the first question I want to ask, and this is open to everybody, but especially Elise, the idea that wars come to an end, is that something that is real or not in EVE? Uh, because it seems one war transitions into the next war. I think especially in, I guess, if you would want to call it post-2007 and onwards, or actually probably in the last five to six years, EVE wars have, you know, they, they've always had a little bit of a uh, an inkling leading into the next one, you know, like the wars never truly end. They just, people just stop fighting. You can never like decisively say, oh, this war won. This, these people were decimated. Their territories were overrun and they don't exist anymore. No, those people in EVE Online, they stay around. They just move to a new area. They rebuild. And then you see like in the shadows, you see a little bit of uh, influence, diplomatic or otherwise. And it just ends up leading into uh, the next wars. At least that, that's my view of it. It seems there's a... I don't know. It just seems like the the same players over and over uh, are fighting these wars. They they have new allies and they have uh, new support, but you know it seems to be the same people. Yeah, new proteges too, like a new generation of the same belief system. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about Eve, and I don't want to like detract from it too much, but like every alliance kind of identifies with how the alliance used to play, regardless of who's there. I know like PL has had 
so much turnover. I don't think people realize how much turnover there is in Pandemic Legion in terms of just FCs and members, but we kind of like play the same way as we did in 2006, 2007, and, you know, times like that. Yeah. Charneros, what do you think? You've been a CEO for a while. Do you, uh, as far, part of the Imperium? Well, the, the energy levels go up and down and you get a break in between wars uh, and you rebuild or relax or refill your pocketbook um, or, or just take a little time for real life. Uh, so it doesn't feel like one continuous block of war, but it does feel like each one is a, almost an episode of the, a recurring TV show. Uh, there's a lot of familiarity. Occasionally you get a character from one show that shows up on the other side for the next show. Uh, but uh, it's mostly and spinoffs. Yeah. It feels like all of them are related. So that's what it seems like. It's um, an iceberg and you see the stuff that crests the water and it looks like they're separated. But if you look under the surface, it's actually one giant massive mutation. And I think it spins off even into wormholes and stuff like that. So that's kind of the premise that I was thinking of going with a week from today, actually, it'll be Saturday. I, I wanted to really get information. So what I set out to do was to contact people that I knew and interview them for a time. And so I interviewed uh, different people from different um, alliances for you know hours and hours. And they told me all these great stories and stuff, but uh, trying to discipline that into one 40, 40 to 50 minute talk is uh, it's going to be difficult if I don't have like some kind of real uh, core to it that makes sense. Uh, so anyway, I invited Elise because Elise is somebody who's really good on history because he can tell you how the mechanics affected the outcomes, which is a, a difficult thing to do. Apothne, what do you think about that? Because you've been around a while now. I mean, I, I, for some reason, I've been playing Eve for maybe four or five years now. Like I'm, I'm celebrating my third year in Pandemic Legion. Um, but most of my time in Eve, I haven't really been in wars so i was in waffles before waffles did kind of war participation on a grand scale um during the found the fountain war for world war b i was in pandemic legion um so i just kind of like did what i was told as a line member i mean i and then in the tribute war as well i was involved but i don't feel as though i've been involved in kind of a classic in inverted commas eve war kind of the ones where two sides are really really properly fighting out bringing all they've got to bear and it's you know uh, a war of elimination where there is emotion uh, going on to, uh, to a greater extent you mean but, like the ones that you heard about when you thought about playing yeah, the game but i'm also aware that those are rose tinted and all wars are actually the same and it's just how you remember them but there is something um i'd like to ask elise because i remember he was on a podcast i think it was with laz at some point uh back when laz was a lot more active uh at least i think i remember it might have been you that said that you think that you thought that what the game needed for a lot more war and for the stability to fall to the ground was for yourself and laz and the matani and all the kind of like the old guys who are around back then but still retain a, a level of alliance leadership to just stop playing the game and not touch it again so that the new guys who haven't made all those friends who haven't had all that experience who haven't been drinking with everyone who have still got ambition have still got something to prove 
who are still willing to take risks for more glory because they haven't done it themselves yet, that would be better for the game. Do you still think that that's an accurate assessment? I might be misattributing it. And if I have done, I apologize. I mean, I'm pretty sure that was last saying that. And um, to an extent, uh, there is, I do agree in a way that there is, um, you know, a very small part of the uh, EVE population that decides how these big wars play out. I mean, if you're talking about how many FCs there are in the game um, that can FC at that, you know, that level, you start running out of names around 20, and that's being very generous to some FCs. Uh, So you're talking maybe a hundred people in the game that can, you know, uh, currently like run a, a very large war or a very large campaign. And those hundred people, a lot of them have had been around for a long time. And, uh, and I think Laz's uh, point was that when they're around, nobody wants to step up to fill that void because they don't uh, see a void appearing. And then eventually when those people burn out uh, is when you have, you know, periods of nothing. And then these new faces start popping up. Uh, I think you can see a lot of that in the Imperium and in PL, actually. Um, when V and when Laz, uh, to an extent, you know, took a step back from EVE Online, uh, you saw a bunch of new a new crop of uh, CFC FCs like, start rising up. Like You get to see uh, the Kendars and the J Amazingnesses of the world uh, you know, c- come into their own. And, and the same is true in, in PL. When Shadu takes a step back, and when I take a step back, you see a bunch of uh, new names that that pop up. I think that's that's pretty cool. But um, the the problem with that is because these people have been in their positions for so long, and and you know they just have so much experience. There's going to be one person who doesn't leave, <laughs> and the other people are going to you know be at a severe disadvantage uh, when they're rising up. And you know people don't like to lose an eve. It's not losing the ship. Like people don't care about material things; they just don't like the idea of losing because people have invested so much into the game. Yeah, and it can also be dangerous though, because in the second generation, if they're, I think, uh, not properly um, mentored, can cause problems. And I and I think of Northern Coalition, the original Northern Coalition, and how uh, I guess it was the new FCs, and I'm specifically pointing out Rat Salat uh, came up, and the old FCs like Imperium. Uh, maybe Vaklao kind of sat back or were absent from the game. And in that time, uh, the new FCs attacked Russians because why not? It, and uh, they didn't understand that this is, a, this is not something you just do. So that led to a counterattack that completely collapsed the Northern uh, Coalition and pretty much ended them. The uh, old yeah. Northern Coalition. The old Northern Coalition, yeah. So I, th- I think it was kind of funny that there was such a disconnect between the the new FC's generation and the old FC generation that basically came back to a big mess and said, well, I'm not defending this place. I'm, I'm going to retire. So, yeah, yeah, one of my, my favorite things about the, uh, the old NC is, you know, they were so bloated. Their FC coordination channel had over 150 people in it. And then someone wanted to form a fleet and like none of the 150 people wanted to do anything. They're just like, Oh, I'm, I'm doing stuff. <laughs> and there were people who didn't FC. They just had risen so far in that group and they've never really you know, been contested that seriously for a long time. So they just got rewarded with being put in the, the FC channel. They kind of, uh, yeah. and that's another interesting parallel because 
I believe that's what was going on in Goon Swarm, that there was a lot of, um, at least is the way I've been told it was, so it may be a little narrative, but I, I think it's true, that you had uh, people who had been around, like uh, Indy or uh, McBlarf or even Darius, that weren't really active anymore, but they still kind of wanted their seat. And from Sion's position and I guess he convinced Mitanni, it's it needs to be more meritocracy rather than just kind of you have your, you know, you were here early, so you got to keep your seat. It's more like who's actually helping out our players in the Alliance in order to keep your seat, you have to work. So that was the conflict that forced people out. You know, they became inactive and they couldn't hold on to their seat and that made them kind of resentful. So they broke away. The counter argument to that was like, oh, uh, Matani's taking goons too professional. You know, he's trying to make them into something that they're not. We used to just wreck games, not actually cooperate with games. Uh, and so they're, you know, kind of like breaking off to preserve the old ways. And I think even Darius Johnson was, and I, I'm not sure, but you can tell me, uh, funded by PL in order to break away and be, uh, I think it was $10 bond, which was another alliance. And he was trying to draw the old goon swarm something awful crowd i mean he came up with the uh the idea of uh, of breaking off and doing that like he wasn't tweeting like push him into that but we were like hey you know it'd be funny if we gave you goon swarm uh, the original alliance and then you know maybe that'll be incentive for you to to grab other people and stuff like that hmm yeah so that's that's there's another thing there but let's actually go through some battles uh, if you guys don't mind and chime in this is totally open i want to know about uh, Asakai. We'll start there because that was about five years ago, maybe a little more or a little less. Asakai, as you know, was a low sec battle and it seemed like it was kind of a mistake. I actually, this is one place I wasn't, so maybe somebody else could talk about it. Were any of you guys there? So uh, the whole thing started because uh, we saw DBRB dropping his Titan willy nilly in low sec and we're like, man, you know, it'd be great if we, you know, you know, baited him out a little bit. Uh, so we we had some people who were neutral to us uh, work around and have a bunch of hictors and dictors around in the area logged off um, for when Boat would, you know, bring by his Titan and, and try and do some fun stuff. And so uh, at the time, the goons were were doing some campaign in, in the Black Rise area. I think they were taking some tech moons or something. And they had a few dreads out. And then... DBRB mistakenly jumped to a sign with his Titan. We're like, oh shit, this is the moment. This is this is when we're gonna do it. Uh, so he got tackled by like infinity dictors, or rather hectors. And we jumped in. <laughs> our, we're like, we just pinged. We're like, oh, this is this is one of the things we were waiting for. Uh, we didn't know we'd catch a Titan, but anyone come in and let's finish him off. And then Goons said, well, we have to save our shit because we didn't have just a Titan here. We had some capitals, uh, a non-insignificant capital fleet at the, at the time. Uh, so let, let's get those guys in and, and just let's get everything in. And we're like, okay, this is getting real. We'll just drop every ship we have. Like we're all in the area, NC Dots all in the area. Like halfway through, Elo Knight came in with a bunch of like 70 dreads just for the heck of it. Yeah. I was in, in that battle on a different side than you might have expected. Uh, this was before LI3 and Gentleman's Agreement merged into the Bastion. So I was running LI3 Federation at the time, and I was in the Honey Badger Coalition. So we formed up with the HBC 
and uh, made our way to Asakai. I flew in an Archon that day. It was it was a great battle. Oh, you were so you were actually on the other side. Yes, sir. I'm where you are now. The good guy side. <laughs> the good guy side. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he won't make you say anything to that. Uh, well, that's interesting. The because there were a lot of carriers and a lot of dreads that died. There wasn't a lot of supers that died, but definitely a lot of dreads. And I, I think probably the reason there wasn't a lot of supers is because supers could really escape easier in low sec, right? Since you couldn't bubble them. Yeah, since you can't bubble them, they they become hard to to tackle, and especially as the game as the fights go on for we're talking hours. It went on for like a disturbingly long time, not BTAC are long, but but still very long. So that you only have a finite number of of hectares. I remember we bought in as like we saw things escalating. We bought every hector that they had for sale in Gita. Every single one we bought wow. and gave to people. And by the end of the fight, we only had like nine left. So there wasn't that many, uh, that many points to to go around. So you can just nude off a thing and just like fly off in a direction and eventually escape. Um, some of my favorite stories from these big fights are just these single pilots escaping imminent doom, uh, just because they instead of like having partaking in the main fight, they're just like off on their own trying to uh, coast off out of this one hector that's keeping them pointed, cycling their nudes, mashing warp. And just the amount of adrenaline you get in these big fights when you're trying to escape in your gigantic ship uh, is is pretty funny. Yeah. I think there's a lot of good stories about escapes in uh, BTEC R as well. We'll get there in just a minute. By the way, that's amazing that you guys basically drained Jita of all the uh, tackling ships and you only ended up with nine at the end of the day. That's crazy. What, what do you think the significance of it was, the Asakai battle? Besides the great propaganda that CCP was able to put out, I don't know, like if they just got lucky, if it was magic, or um, uh, there's yeah, a theory it was that... right before FanFest too. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, but also it appeared on Reddit, not in our Eve, because our Eve wasn't a big thing then, but in our games, and it said Test Alliance from Reddit, and so you had like an instant plug into this gamer vein that said, hey you guys have a corporation that you can join inside this game. And so what happened was uh, I imagine that generated a ton of new people coming to the game out of interest. I kind of theorized that it was low sec, so it was easier for people who normally don't get into battles to get there because they weren't bubbled out. And so they could actually go in and see it. And so there's more pictures of it or whatever, uh, just more participation across the board. But also, with all those new people coming, it spawned the birth of Brave uh, as, a, as a movement kind of thing. Do you think there's other significance to it? Um, in the scope of things, I think it just made the that era of goons more wary to use super capitals and capitals. At the time, they thought maybe they had enough because they had been building a lot their super capital and capital armada. Um, but it just kind of shook them a little bit so they didn't feel comfortable using those ships in like a, a drop-down, all-out fight. Um, I know DBRB got <laughs> forbidden from using capitals for yeah. a while. Yeah. Poor little boatman. He's a good man. Um, but I, I think that was more for the memes than anything else. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think just the alliance and the, the coalition in general, the goons have always been, you know, very wary and very afraid to use capitals just because there's, I, I don't, I don't know what it is. They have the ability, they have the numbers, and they have the capitals. But it's just like a mental blockage, I feel, where they're like, oh, capitals are the ships that the 
the bad guys use. So I'm not going to use those. I can do it another way because I I don't you know have to use them. And I think that just gave more credence into the we don't use super caps in this alliance sort of mentality, which uh, persisted for quite a long time until the, the next big war, actually, or the next yeah. big fight. So to position this, you have ASCII happening basically January 2013. One year later, you have BTAC-R to the day. Uh, but in between their six-month mark is the Fountain War. And that is basically, Goonswarm said, okay, well, we'll just, we'll just take Fountain Moons. And so they invaded Fountain. But also there was some other stuff going on, like PLNC and Goons were kind of messing with Test. Like you guys were attacking Test in Fountain before that. Is that, is that true? Uh, we were in Delve messing with Test, who lived in, in Delve at the time. And we, we kind of... We kind of just had an agreement. Like we always sort of fly together and then fly apart and then fly together between like the Peel and Goon relationship is is oddly complex. Uh, if we're like thinking about how Corneros described the wars as like uh, episodes, we'd definitely be like star-crossed lovers that find across from one another and split up and then hate each other and then love each other again. We'd be great for uh, like these are our lives type things. But um, at the time we were just uh, running through test in Delve and we both had deployments down in Delve. We, you know, didn't have our whole alliances there. And so Goon, or not Goons, um, Test would would blob a lot and like we wouldn't be able to do it with our 100 dudes. So Laz would come down with another 100 dudes and uh, Vince would come down with another 100 dudes. And, you know, combined, we'd be able to, to do some fights. And so every other night we'd have just a, a really big fight um, in right next to uh, Noel. And it would just be a lot of good fun and, and you know, it made everyone really motivated to, uh, to do something in EVE. Right. But did it, um, and this is, this is a theory and I'm not sure it's quite worked out yet, but did it discourage test or were they up for it? Because it, they seem to go from really large numbers to, to slightly less numbers. I think they were kind of up for it. I mean, when you get, you know, weeks and weeks of, of fighting, eventually you just get bored of it. If, if, fighting isn't what you do in EVE Online if that's not your main gameplay. And at the time, Test was an alliance that was capable of fighting and willing to fight, but the main part of Test just wanted to live in space and you know do stuff in space like most alliances do. Uh, and I so I think they were getting a little bit burned out. I know Bakiyuki was, uh, I don't know if people remember the name, but he was a pretty infamous personality. He was the, the capital FC for Test and Test. You know, props to them. They would bring out carriers every fight. Uh, they'd bring like 30 or 40 slow cat chimeras out and try and win a fight that way. And we'd have to avoid them. A lot of times they would win the engagement and we would just, uh, you know, take, uh, you know, the low hanging fruit in terms of like their battleships or something. So they would win. We would get a lot of kills and it felt like a win overall for everybody. Unfortunately, when you're talking about groups like PL and NC, when you have consecutive wins back to back to back, you start to snowball. So those 80-man fleets quickly become 180-man fleets. And when your 400-man fleets go to eight or to 300-man fleets, just because a group of people are, are bored or they're not interested in it or they need to make money, then it really snowballs out of, out of control. And that's what started to happen a little bit in, in Delve. So that happens, then you guys, and I mean you guys, PLN3, which would be... Uh, N3 is... Um... NC dot Nelly Segunda and the third one. Does anybody know? A little test from the teacher. Nexus. 
uh, it was Nexus Lands, but they kind of fell out quick. That was the third N. So N3 was Nully, Nexus, and NC dot. NC dot was basically the super capital heavyweight military power there. And Nelly Segunda was a really dynamic subcapital group. And then Nexus was, I don't know where they were. Um, but yeah, and N3 wasn't really just three ends. It was a whole bunch of uh, alliances all tied together in some major coalitions. So there was about, uh, and I'm guessing here, but at least five to five to 10 different alliances in N3. Do, would you know, Elise? Um, there it wasn't were- your thing, but... Well, we weren't in N3. We were blue to NC dot, but we refused to blue everyone else's N3 because we wanted to shoot nothing. Uh, <laughs> oh, I see. Some of, the, uh, some of the clowny diplomatic moves that uh, Pandemic Legion engages in because we don't actually have any diplomats. But um, there were a few like low groups in there that I can't remember. Yeah. I just don't remember the exact number, but there was definitely more than three. And, it, yeah, and no, yeah. no offense to... They were pretty big. They were sizable. Um, they were very competent. You know, they could do their own thing pretty well. They had FCs as well. So they weren't hurting for FC talent or numbers. And they did have, at the time, probably the biggest super capital block in the in the game. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Thanks, Arendis. Uh Fraternity, Spaceship Samurai. But there was also Cult of War, I think, was in there. Uh, Goodfellas, or no, sorry, Gentleman's Agreement. No. Oh, not Gentleman's Agreement. Not Gentleman's Agreement. The other one. Gentleman's Club. Gentleman's Club, yeah. Or something like that. And yeah, so there was a lot of like um, alliances and stuff. But what's interesting is after uh, BTACR, Darkness joins to the protests of some of the people who are like, we don't want to... <laughs> and, uh, uh, I'm talking about uh, Pro God because Pro God, this again gets really complicated, but Darkness was led by Sort Dragon. Sort Dragon and Pro God, Nully's FC, had almost gotten into a fight at FanFest, didn't like each other. It almost started a war. It actually disintegrated uh, the Honey Badger Coalition as it was at the time because Tess didn't want to follow Sort Dragon into a personal war against Pro God Legend. So to put uh, Sort Dragon's alliance in N3 must have been kind of a bitter pill to swallow. But again, these are these little backstories. Back to Fountain War. Fountain War happens. It's a big fight with all kinds of different facets of EVE. You have spying game, you have military tactics changing, you have pushes and pulls and big battles to get beachheads into Fountain. And, and then you even have uh, CCP actually making mistakes and hitting the wrong button and blowing up a huge battle as it happens. Can you tell us a little bit about Fountain War for all you guys that were there? Well, we hear a bunch of crickets from the, the PL side because we specifically didn't want to get involved too much. We were doing Alliance Torrent th- stuff, and that's sort of where the, the meme PL will come, they must come came from test. Uh, because yeah. they, they just assumed because we were friends with N3, and we had sometimes locked horns with goons that we'd show up. And I mean, we did show up. We deployed to Syndicate and started messing with uh, the backlines of the, the goons. But a lot of the people just didn't care. Like that. that's one of the things about uh, the PL. We'll <laughs> do whatever someone cares about. Who so. was in charge then? Was it Shadu? Uh, I, I think Manfred Sidious was the campaign commander. But was Shadu still in charge of more or less the... Uh, I think Shadu was just then starting to take a step back from uh, from Eve stuff. Like mm-hmm. after the HBC, he pulled the uh, PL from the HBC and then started uh, to dial it back. And then he went on to move that winter and like hasn't been heard from since really. Stupid jerk. 
<laughs> I mean, no. he's heard from all the time. He just comes in and tells us how we're doing such a bad job and then leaves. But yeah, um, but yeah Shadu was there. Uh, Elendar, one of the, the older names in PL, was uh, one of the campaign commanders for the syndicate campaign. He, uh, he saw an opportunity, came back. He had a free summer, decided to do some stuff. Um, but, you know, just a lot of FCs were doing Alliance Horn and stuff, and a lot of members just didn't care. Um, and we felt like tests weren't really listening to, to our advice. So uh, just very minimal involvement from, from PL at the time, which, you know, it just happens. Uh, but uh, the Fountain War was pretty, pretty interesting the way it started. It was very, very slow off the ground. I remember like trailing the the move ops from DBRB, and he was getting like 300 people, maybe 300 people per move, and you know that's not a lot for for the CFC at the time. Uh, we're talking about like a big solid one would be like thousands of people, uh, but yeah, he was getting 300 people per move, so maybe a thousand people deployed to J5A, and uh, you know didn't really. Didn't really do too much. And then test whelped like three times in a row. And the week after that, DBRB had move ops of 800, 900 people. It was hilarious. I, I participated in the Fountain War. And I uh, had switched sides between the Asakai battle and the Fountain War. Um, LI3 Federation had pulled out of Honey Badger and joined Goonswarm. Uh, no, sorry, joined the CFC and moved up to live in Vale of the Silent next to Gentleman's Agreement, which is how we got to know each other. Um, and we, we uh, came down to participate in the war. Actually, we, we shrunk about in half making that change because I didn't realize at the time that uh, a couple of the corporations in my alliance were, uh, were actually run by Goonswarm Alts on the side. Uh, little surprises. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, and they said, we're not going up there. Are you kidding? They won't let us in. I'm like, okay. So that was fun. But then came back down to Delve to participate in the war. Had a lot of fun. Lost a, a Titan mm-hmm. and 6VDT. The only Titan lost in the war, and it had to be mine. Oops. Uh, and, and that's interesting because it was pointed out earlier by Elise that one of the lessons of Asakai was that the goons didn't want to use their super capitals. And so they didn't in Fountain War, that I can recall. But you, you trying to move one did. It was a bridging, well, right? Yeah. See, they they put a ping out to the super cap to the Titan group at the time and said, "Who will bridge this group?" And there was crickets from all of the Goonswarm Titan pilots. And I said, "Well, I'll do it, but I don't, you know, I don't have a tower in that system. I'll have to borrow one of yours." Um, they had, as part of their tactics for winning the bot- battle of 6VDT, the, uh, the Goonswarm Offensive Logistics, GSOL guys, had gone in before, and because there are limited number of moons in that system, they had towered every moon to make sure that there was no opportunity for the bad guys at the time to, uh, to take a moon and have a safe spot in the system and base out of it. Uh, so... Uh, all of the there was no op- option for me to put a tower down or anything. I just had to go live with them. We won't go into the discussion of uh, how we set it up and what went wrong on a Titan kill because these days <laughs> Titan kills are every week and no one blinks anymore. Yeah, but back then it was a deal. It was. It was. Yeah. 
Is it emotional to think back? No, but I sit back and I remember that uh, Titan, you know, and it's not, it's almost like a lost loved one. You don't feel that for other ships, but your Titans, as you lose them, you remember each one. And occasionally you can look back at the, uh, um, at the lost mail and remember that fitting and remember that ship and what it was like. All right. So there's a picture I'm going to show right now. And it is a famous picture of Boat getting his keys taken away. After Asakai, he was not able to use capital ships anymore. Uh, so he went into the Fountain War and he was actually very busy in his real life. So he wasn't able to participate fully, but when he did participate, it didn't go well. And that could be for a number of reasons. They were using expensive ships early on, TFIs, if I remember. So to lose those over and over again started to really cost a lot. And they hadn't switched over to the Baltech battleship that's pretty cheap where you can make endless amounts of those. So anyway, um, boats getting, uh, you know, racking up a lot of considerable losses. And so he gets benched, basically. But there was also some talk of a power struggle inside of Goon Swarm that actually put him in one camp and the camp wanted to oppose him, one out. And so Matani benched the boat. So there's a famous cartoon that uh, came out at the time. Now, I wouldn't show it except the boat actually really, really likes it. So I thought I would put it on there. Boat's a great dude. Like, no matter where you uh, fall on the EVE political spectrum, Boat is hilarious. I remember after Asakai going back just a little bit, he went to FanFest. And this is like two months uh, after it happened. And he was just walking around in, in full-on Admiral gear with uh, the hat and everything. And people <laughs> were buying him drinks. They're like, ah, oh, Boat, man, thanks for making a great event. And he, he just loved it. It was fantastic, regardless of like uh, who it was, like, uh, people from the people like sides that killed him loved him. The people that were on his fleet loved him. Just neutral third parties loved him. He was a he was a rock star that fan fest for sure. Oh yeah, at, that's a fan fest where John Lander, who was executive producer at the time, turned to Boat and said, "You just made our first quarter because uh, Asakai, all the people that came from Asakai, all the new subscriptions just made it." So <laughs> yeah. he felt pretty good about that. You were new uh, around then, weren't you, Apophany? Um, so during Ask, I was in Waffles. So I started playing, I mean, I made my account in 2010, but I didn't join EV University until I, I think it was 2012. So um, I, I was uh, like a couple years in, but not then, still pretty much not to this day. I've never really been in the realm of the large-scale null politics. So I probably knew the names, and I probably heard these things happened. But I also have had a history of whenever there is a massive tie-dye hellhole of a fight, I avoid that system like the plague. I'm the guy who will dictate the undock of the reinforcements. I will be the guy who leads the small skirmish fleet to... Um, you know, uh, catch a group of dreads that didn't have range or the LO failed. Like, I just avoid going into the 16-hour fights because, like, as cool as they are to watch, I never want to actually be in one. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, according to your employment history, you joined EVE University about two years after you joined. After you started <laughs> the game. Yeah, and those two years, I was not playing the game. I made the account, mine with a few friends who stopped playing, and it's like, wow, mining on your own in high sec kind of sucks. I guess I'm not going to play this damn game anymore. And then I rage quit out of the guild I was running in StarCraft 2 and came back to EVE to try and just be a quiet, 
therapeutic mining wasn't ever going to do anything big wasn't going to make a name wasn't going to lead anyone ever again because fuck leading people any in any game oh i I totally get what you're saying yeah i just want to be a a a moisture farmer on some remote planet (laughs) yeah that didn't go so well but you know i tried yeah yeah i think the 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 lure of contributing more contributing more contributing more um yeah i can i can totally relate to that uh okay so fountain war and i love having seamus here he's like a computer (laughs) that's great um so fountain war uh happens that was a significant war because i and i think what happened was goons knockout test pretty much right test well a lot of things happen basically goons win pl ditches out pretty early on for uh, tournament reasons or because they didn't want to participate for some reason didn't seem like their heart was in it uh two nc dot bails out for temporarily because they have to run and take back territory that solar is taking on the other side of their empire solar fleet and in the middle of that nully segunda loses their rental empire and their what do you call it their farming empire which is the the group of not yet ready for prime time uh, alliance so i don't know if this is still a thing but if you were a top one of the top alliances you wouldn't just let people in but you could let them into a second alliance that was your sister alliance where they didn't have your name but they could kind of hang around with you and you would kind of farm them to see if they, any of them were good and then you could promote them up um and so one group that did that was called um i forget what it's called elna is their call name but uh unaligned worlds or something like that and they came up through the bullpen or what i don't know what you would call that and then they got led into nelly second and they were a low sec pirating empire well they were they were really kind of toxic types uh, and stuff embraced by some of nelly segunda but also a real you know not not but they brought a lot of people and so they were always given a lot of uh, room to do their stuff because they definitely brought a lot of people and so those guys uh, in elna uh, pulled the plug on the rental alliance and the starter alliance um and totally disband you know dropped all the sob so nelly segunda in the middle of fountain war basically says Actually, PL, Nelly, and NC look around and say, uh-oh, we just lost a ton of Sov. What are we going to do? And in incredible speed. Actually, I should let you uh, say this, at least if you remember it. I don't know if you don't. I can if you don't. I mean, Manny did most of it. Uh, thank, thank God for Manny. But um, yeah, we just literally just had uh, just a string of Sinos up for Supers. No matter where they were, they could go and just grind the space all the way back, which is grinding every structure that's there. And just flipping it back to uh, back to our side, and it was done in like a long weekend. Like some disgusting number of systems was uh, just grounded or grinded out all the way through. Yeah, it was like two regions each. Northern Coalition had two regions, PL two regions, and then like within forty eight hours, they recaptured all the stations, which were the important part, and then they started to um, slowly capture the actual SOV back. But the stations were all secured within a couple of days, which was amazing but it really distracted them from fountain war um, yeah um during the time we uh we had suggested to test because test was saying this is our our do or die moment in in fountain we're going to uh we're not going to back down we're like hey don't don't say that because it's going to go badly for you or rather it's going to go poorly for you and then you're just going to fall on your sword for nothing maybe just take a let it cool down for a little bit 
and then strike back uh, like next week or something. Uh, so our suggestion was just to time everything for Australian time zone where goons had like five dudes in Australian time zone. <laughs> yeah, and, no present. And uh, N3 and Test had all of um, Australia, basically like literally every Australian PVPer was with uh, N3 slash Test at the time. She was like, hey, Test, just time stuff for uh, Australian time zone. We win 100% of those timers all the time. And they just never did it. They just kept putting it for like EU Prime slash early US and uh, just kept getting run over, over and over to the point where NC dot, like we obviously stopped mess, uh, stopped helping out um, for what all the reasons listed above, plus lines and stuff, plus people just didn't care. And then so NC dot looks at the situation looks at Tess like essentially just bashing their head into a wall over and over. And they're like, eh, maybe I'll take a break too, just to, to let things cool off. Well, if you think about it, they probably had a lot of new people, not to say, but their leadership was really the problem, not the, not the new guys. Uh, coming in after Asakai, right? That big bulge of new players probably going to head to Test if a lot of them were coming out of uh, Reddit itself. Uh, a lot of them at this point are being funneled into Brave Newbies, but Brave Newbies at this point are just a low-sec group that just are just trying to have fun. So Test itself wasn't really a battle-tested group, except maybe some of the leadership. But a lot of the leadership, apparently, from different points of view, was lacking at the time. There was conflict within it. In fact, they didn't have any FCs. The FC had to come from Nelly Segunda, which would have been pro-god. So you had Carneros working with Nelly Segunda, uh, and you had... Nully's pro god legend working on test, and that was who was persecuting the war, prosecuting the war, not persecuting the war. And so you have um, really kind of an empty vessel. So test had a month before this shown that it could pull a thousand people into a fleet, not a fleet. Fleets only they can't tap out at two hundred fifty-five, so it was multiple fleets, but they could pull a thousand to twelve hundred people into a fight. And those numbers were delicious to PLNC and N3 because those numbers plus their hardware and firepower could take on goons. So it was kind of like, we can do this. Uh, goons were kind of on their back foot because Asakai taught them that they're not ready to bring out super capitals. And so these were the tensions that were going on when the fight happened. But Test and the distractions and uh, PL's, I, I would say, lack of commitment for better or worse, and NC getting distracted and even Nully getting a little distracted, basically crush the morale of test. So what was funny is they could only get, test could only get a few hundred people into fleets by the time it was going pretty bad. And so they were losing a lot of territory. And to Goon's credit, they were doing very well. They were actually winning fights and it was a very successful campaign for them. But then test says, well, we're just going to go out in a blaze of glory in six VDT. I think it was. And they show up with like a thousand people. From Nully's point of view, where were all those people during this war? Why are you guys all coming here just to get shot and killed? When you and the war was already over, right? A week before that, Test was actually beat in Australian time zone. So they knew, like, that's it. If we can't beat them in Australian time zone, we have no foot to move forward on. Because goons clearly owned European time and, and US time. But Australian time, there was nobody there. And so you have all these people show up for 6VDT, biggest battle, but also really not really a consequential battle that was the war was already over it was a way to just kind of get your ships to get blown up that were insured okay is that how everybody else remembers it yeah it's about more or less uh, spot on since vdt was uh 
a pretty hilarious fight to say the least. And uh, at the time, uh, you gave a little bit of this as well, but um, between Delve and Fountain, um, while we were fighting goons, or rather, uh, while we were fighting with goons against Test in Delve, um, there was a non-insignificant group of uh, Test FCs and leaders and stuff that sort of moved over to PL. Oh, that's um, right. Just because of uh, it happened after the death of the HBC as well, but after that uh, campaign specifically, a lot of tests uh, moved over to PL, and that kind of created a lot of uh, of the FC talent drain that you were talking about in test during the Fountain War. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Actually, I did hear that, and um, if, around ahead, the same time, also. Uh, the Imperium had hired CFC at the time had uh, hired PL to start uh, harassing Nully a little bit um, with the uh, intention of, you know, getting them less involved and making them jump back and forth, which we did for a, a short time. But uh, we actually did focus on <laughs> the Alliance tournament quite a bit. I remember the, the bat, that last battle for the station timer and 6VDT. I remember being shocked at how many tests showed up for that battle and how, how much bigger it was. And I thought they, and the, the attitude that they came with going, we know, we don't care that we're going to lose this fight. We're all in. This is the last hurrah. We're going to be here for it. We're not going to miss this. It was a, it was a, uh, an unusual different feeling in Eve that day. Well, also this, this calls into, and this is another facet of Warren's is the propaganda was really good on the, uh, you know, a cluster a CFC side of things because they were the CFC at this point. Uh, they they definitely had a good narrative. All their guys were unified. They knew they could win it. They knew they were making big sacrifices, but they also knew that they were going to count towards the long run. So they were all in it. Uh, Tess was kind of like, let's shoot things. Let's let's uh, you know. And they were first listening to the the psychological warfare, saying like, look, we have no problem with you, Tess. It's your leadership we don't like. And I think that might have helped work on it, but also. Um, they might have had a whole different personality type. Like maybe they didn't think they could do it and they just, uh, you know, thought, well, let's, you know, we can't possibly go up against this. I don't know. But they were not psychologically unified and ready and together. They were publicly fighting and uh, their FCs went missing or went to, you know, higher ground and that sort of thing. So they kind of lost. And this hurt them quite a bit because they were kicked out of Fountain. They had plans to go down to Delve, but CFC didn't have to do much. They just kind of went into Delve and knocked them right out. And they went into, oh, I believe they went into low sec. And they got down to very, very few people. I think they got down to a few corps besides Dreadit. Dreadit was a big corp, but they could really only get 50 people in, in a fleet. So that is getting close to dead. You really only have diehards at that point. Uh, and that allowed that kind of extinction point where they get down to so little allowed them to kind of clean the gene pool and start new. And so Tess starts building themselves back up slowly under the current leadership. And later on, they will snatch some big name FCs and they start to put together a considerable momentum towards what they are today, which is a, a contender. That's Fountain War. Fountain War ends. Then there's a six month lull before BTAC R. But actually, that's not right. There was like a three month lull because Halloween hits and a war begins. What's, what was the stuff that was happening before BTAC R? And before head GP, how long was the CFC in the South and what were they doing there? 
the CFC weren't doing too much in the South. Uh, they had, you know, deployed down there uh, to join in on some ops. I know um, uh, the Russians at PL and NC were fighting, uh, you know, had asked for help because we, you know, we would do what we do and we would just drop a bunch of slow cats on their fleets and uh, take objectives slowly and meticulously. And uh, whenever we got out blobbed, actually, we just drop slow cats and kind of own. And then they wouldn't really know what to do. They were flying stuff like Tengus and stuff like that. And I got to be the the trigger a lot of times, which is the guy that everyone assigns the drones to. So I could just like click and a ship explodes. <laughs> click and a ship explodes. <laughs> that for like 40 minutes and then there's no ships left and they all leave. And that's op over. I feel like the Grim Reaper. Yeah, yeah. But um, CFC came up with the, the tactic of waterboarding, which is just like holding uh, you know, groups, uh, capitals in, in one place for a long time. Um, just to, to make it painful to use it. So they were starting to do that to help out Solar. Solar wanted uh, some help. And, you know, Russians and goons have a pretty uh, long-standing relationship, uh, like the Red Swarm fan. Did uh, Solar... Federation. Sorry, did Solar just want to take territory and just try to take it? Or did some... Um, they had take, started uh, pushing a lot. Like, back then, Solar and XIX still hated one another. And uh, XIX were basically pushed to the brink of having almost nothing. And so we were helping out a little bit in that regard. We were just taking more space for ourselves. Solar had started pushing up in the south. We're like, well, we have to dip this in the bud before it goes all the way up. Um, so that's what we were essentially fighting over. We were keeping our buffer between our, uh, our renter space, Brothers of Tangra, where we were making 1.7 trillion isk each every month. It was pretty ridiculous how much money was being pumped out of there. And we had pretty interesting diplomatic agreements with everyone else around Eve, uh, which you know people didn't really like too much. I thought it was super cool. Uh, I thought it was one of the things. It's when I just started to uh, enter the the legal world in real life. It's when I like took my first job as a lawyer. So I got to uh, to make a little agreements between everyone to save our space. Um, unlikely allies, but it, it was still good. So yeah, that, we were just protecting that buffer, and it was going very slowly. We were suffering some fatigue because you know there's fatigue when you have to take slow cats. Um, I don't mean jump fatigue; I just mean like player fatigue. Yeah, <laughs> time jump fatigue didn't exist. So the slow cats are a very boring fleet for everyone but the person doing the killing. Right, the doing the killing. It's a super great rush, and you're like, nice. I don't have to do anything. I just own. Uh, I just I want to put people here and then kill everyone in a little ball. But for everyone else, it absolutely sucks. It's miserable. No one liked doing it. Everyone hated it. But the problem was you could always <laughs> you could always get a critical mass right of slow cats instead of anything else. So if you're like, oh, I can't fly anything, like no one wants to go on these fleets. Better take slow cats. Um, so that's sort <laughs> of what the, the situation was like in the meta, at least in the south, and you know fighting the Russians. Goons were, you know, sort of on the periphery. They were messing around, trying to help a bit. But there's a lot of communication problem uh, between the two groups. Uh, one of the things about an EVE, and this is true regardless of the time that you play EVE, if you coordinate with Russians, it doesn't work. At some point, they're just not going to listen to you and say, I want to do this. I am going in with everything I have, even if it seems like a losing battle. Um, and that's what happened quite a bit, uh, at least in those fights. So goons didn't really, it's not that they weren't committed to helping. They just didn't know what their allies were going to do any given day. And you uh, talked about it a little bit. 
HedGP, which was like four days before BTAC-R. It was the biggest dreadnought slaughter the game had seen in like half a decade because uh, the Russians just decided to jump in with all the dreads that they had to break our, uh, our wrecking ball, which was just our massive capital ships. Uh, and that was their goal. But it just failed horribly. Uh, the system lagged out. They just didn't coordinate right. The dread guns didn't cycle. They called the wrong primaries. All the fleets were shooting different stuff. So they ended up losing something like 300 dreads or something like that. The, who did? The Russians and... Yeah, the, the Russians and, uh, and goons a little bit. Are you talking about head GP? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay, so the reason I think they brought dreadnoughts is because the waterboarding was was working, but they also found out that Naglfar dreadnoughts at range could alpha uh, carriers so they can get some kill mails. And so the the counter to then the uh, slow cats was dreadnoughts. The counter to dreadnoughts is super capitals. So then is that what created the wrecking ball? Um, more or less. We just wanted to put more, uh, more capitals Hardware. on the field. And <laughs> so at the time... There was a huge, this is a mechanics issue. There was a huge issue whenever you wanted to sino in your super capital fleet to an area. If you sinoed in more than 10 super capitals, there is a good chance one of them would bump out of rep range and you would be unable to save it. Um, so what we did is to rectify this, we would get our carriers to orbit a center point. And, you know, they would be very high mass. We'd create a little ball. Of, of carriers because we'd have so many. Then we'd sign out our super carriers into the middle of that. So when they bounced, they would bounce, potentially hit a carrier that was in a circle and then bounce back into the center of the circle. So if anything bounced out, it would be a 800 millionist carrier and not a 100 billionist Titan. And so that was really, really hard to counter. Um, those those ships are very limited in that they can't move. Like once you once you decide on a position in space that you want to be, that's where you're going to be until you win the fight. Um, but you're essentially going to win the fight. The uh, the concept that oddly enough Vili had um, at the time he was in Goon Swarm was called Omega Fleet, and that was to get artillery Nagelfars. And I think this was before they were changed to be, um, you know, one of the more popular dreads, and just alpha through. Uh, carriers. The goal in that in the head GP fight wasn't to just alpha through carriers, it was to try and alpha through super carrier reps to just kind of, or just a super carrier HP to just try and kill Nixes. They had the theoretical number, but unfortunately they could never get the ability to fire. That's one of the problems of EVE. Once you have the theoretical number, you have to hope that you know the intangibles kind of work with you as well. well when the system lags really hard or your guns don't cycle, instead of getting the 20 million HP of alpha, you're getting something like eight, which the enemy can just rep right through. Yeah. Well, and, and were you guys, uh, because let, here's some other, we're going to go back a little bit and then we'll come forward. Uh, Askai was right after tie-dye was created. And you guys, I think took 40 minutes to get to Askai after it had already started. And this meant that with tie-dye slowing everything down and sticking everybody in the same place for a while longer than it crashing and the fight being over, meant that you guys, PL and C, and people with carriers, lots of them, could get to fights really quickly and actually they could get to any fight they, that started. The bigger it got, the better it would go slower because of tie-dye. 
And so where goons might have been afraid of all the stuff you could pile into a system, later on when the counter to Wrecking Ball or Slow Cats is the Dreadnoughts, does this kind of... Because I think you guys were losing a lot of carriers in Fountain War. Um, were you guys kind of um, afraid of... Um, not afraid, but you know, weary of Dreadnoughts, especially since they were just about to pile in 300, 400 of them into head GP before the computers crashed? Um, so the... When you're talking about slow cats and stuff like that, the the like the straightforward counter is dreads, but it doesn't actually work like that just because uh, you know how much those ships can tank. So we weren't super worried. We knew it would be a little bit bloody, but we figured we had all the pieces in place just to absolutely destroy them after the fact. Like we figured we take a punch to the face and then we just give them an uppercut to the jaw and knock them straight out. <laughs> Um, so that was the plan when we jumped in and just everything just went haywire and they just couldn't shoot the same thing. Cause half the people can load. We're just like, oh, okay, we'll just shoot this thing with centuries and pop it in two shots. This is really weird. But, um, you'd actually do bring a pretty big, uh, thing to the table. This is before, um, Phoebe jump changes, um, which just meant as long as you had a Sino and enough fuel, you could continue jumping your ship. And it was three times the distance that you can jump now for carriers. So whenever a fight broke out in EVE, there was always this trepidation of, do I want to commit capitals to this fight or super capitals to this fight? Because if it spirals out of control for me and if I can't clean it up in a timely manner, the way tie-dye works is going to take me forever to clear the field and get out while anyone with a super cap or capital fleet in EVE Online can get to me and destroy me. So a lot of people took the, the takeaway was that PL is going to come to every fight and destroy it. Um, we were absolutely terrified that at some point uh, the goons would come by with their super fleet and a support wing and just decimate us once we got tackled. So we were just terrified to bring supers on a lot of these fights because we knew that the potential was there for anyone with a super cap to come in and, you know, if they were better coordinated or they had an op plan for it, they could completely frag us. And this is when the Black Legion was kind of at its height of power because they had the dread bomb that would go uh, to basically any of these fights if they thought they could get there in time, kill a few capitals or supers and then get out. So it was a, a very terrifying experience to be a, a capital pilot. Uh, a lot of people kind of feel like, oh, capitals are easy win buttons. There's no problems with it. You just push a button and win. And during the fight, if you have capitals and they don't and you're set up right, yeah, it's an easy win. But getting that uh, legwork done is something that a lot of people didn't realize how much effort kind of went into it. And that's why you see a lot of people, when they try to replicate it, when Tess tried to do it, um, they would just get clobbered quite easily. Well, not quite easily, but they had the potential to get pretty clobbered. So in BTEC R then, you guys targeted the Dreadnoughts first, and the Russians and CFC targeted the Titans first. You could see that for every one or two that N3PL were killing, Russian CFC were killing like four or five, and it just really started moving. What was a tactical mistake at the beginning of the battle? So the, the tactical mistake at the beginning of the battle was taking the battle, but... <laughs> Apart from that, um, so in BTACR before you were happened, forced to take it. By the way, yeah, we had there was a solve drop over in drones, um, so we went over with a bunch of supers. It was just a small area. It was like a region that we grinded back, and then as we were coming over, 
um, we were coming back to the BTACR area and we saw the solve system drop. Um, just someone forgot to pay the bill or there was a bug um, where, you know, the solve bill didn't get paid. Like the chip, there was like a little check for pay the solve bill, but it didn't happen. So the solve dropped, which meant the TCU was vulnerable. Razor Alliance, blast from the past, came in, flipped the station um, in kind of like weird Australian time zone. And then we came back with just a few people, flipped the station back because that's where all of our stuff was. <laughs> right. Was literally, it was our staging system. And back then when the TCU flipped, the stage or the TCU went down, the station was vulnerable to anyone who wanted to shoot it. You just get the station to zero and then it's yours. Um, so we lost the station to Razor, I believe. We went in, we took it back. We onlined a new TCU on the station. We we're just like, eh. Seven hours. We'll just chill here with our our supers for a little bit. Hopefully, uh, more people will come up. No one's gonna mess with us. But uh, that was, but that was Australian time zone, which leads into very first Russian time zone. Yes. So the Russians see this and they say, "We've got time. There's like four or five hours left on this TCU. We can do this. We can get in, and we have more numbers than them." They call goons. Uh, I know Laz sees it. He's like, "Okay, let's do it. Let's get ready." Um, drop in and you know this is one of the few times in eve where there's imperfect information on both sides uh pl doesn't know how many dreads the opponents have uh the opponents don't know how many supers pl can get quickly enough um you know one of the main problems is that the supers were in btac are mm -hmm. so to get them to the states to the right part in the system they had to jump out cap up and then jump back in and so you know both sides had imperfect information Goons and Red and uh, Solar came in with everything they had. PL sounded the horn, uh, said, yeah, let's get everything here. This is when, you know, people started making a few mistakes early on. We wasted a lot of our Titan Doomsdays trying to get down a, um, a Link Titan, which was Sort Dragon. He brick tanked his Titan to give everyone links. And for some reason, people decided that killing that was the best idea. And wasted almost all of our doomsdays getting him to like a quarter armor, which she then like wrapped right back up. Yikes. And so at the back foot, then tie dye fully in effect now. They see PL starting to lose. I think we lose a Titan or a Nyx really early on. And more people just start piling in on every side. We're talking subcaps piling in, just people wanting to see the fight piling in because they heard about it. Um, so they're just flying in like an interceptor or a buzzard or something. Uh, goons are able to get their backup super fleet all the way across the galaxy before like one doomsday cycle finishes off because they're talking about um, doomsday cycles taking an hour more or less. Um, just complete craziness happens and the fight breaks out and it's just like 13 hours of, of fighting. I jump into this system, but I'm like not there at all. As far as I can tell, it was just Manny and um, Makalu. Uh, doing a lot of the the fighting. I try to come in. I sign on my Titan right into the center of it. Spend six hours or something on a black screen. Thank goodness I never got in. I got in. I was in. I was in. I had replaced the Titan from the Battle of Six VDT. And I, I had a new avatar. Uh, I moved across with the, the guys and, and got into the system. The experience, if you're a, a regular old titan pilot in a massive battle like that is you get to cycle your big doomsday weapon once per hour 
It takes a lot of fuel. You're looking through your ship to say, okay, how much, how much fuel do I have? I'm running low. Can someone go? Is there a super carrier near me that can give me that's of the same racial type as me? So if I'm in an avatar, I'm looking for an Aeon nearby. Can you give me some of your fuel so I can fire my doomsday one more time and stuff like that? And you're, we, we had a system set up in the flea whereby when your timer was up on your doomsday and you're ready to go again, you would you know type uh, an X or something in flea. And the target caller would assign to you, he would call your name of your Titan alt, and then he would call your target and tell you who to doomsday. So we were coordinated at that point and, and could do a little bit better. And occasionally he'd say things like, uh, you, pause for a moment. Let's see what happens after this one. Okay, okay, yeah, one more doomsday on that guy. Or no, no, leave it to be finished off. Go to this next one instead. Um, it was, it's, uh, and it's funny because it's really slow, really long, but it's also... It, uh, there's also like this constant undercurrent of adrenaline in your blood for hours. And this went all the way to downtime. Right. And your last hour before downtime, you're trying to decide, can I get off one more doomsday and still get out of here or not? Because you want to get out. Well, you wanted to safe up your ship uh, if you could. I managed to get out with about 30 seconds left on the shutdown and get into a safe pause. Oh, my God. My heart's pounding. I couldn't go to sleep. It was crazy. Wow. That is as dramatic as it gets. Yeah. But I didn't lose my ship that time, but partly because I picked an avatar. If I'd shown up in a Ragnarok, I would have been dead. But but um, the avatars had... Um, a really a comparatively good tank and were um, a less attractive target in those days. That is thrilling just listening to it. So you barely get out, the battle's over, downtime. If downtime hadn't happened, a lot more Titans would have died. That kind of ended it. It's kind of like a referee coming in saying, break it up. I think at some level, like the other side was just tired of killing supers. Like as ridiculous as it sounds, you're like <laughs> shooting supers and carriers <laughs> For like 18 hours or something, or it's just some ridiculous amount of time, you're just fragging these supers. And at some point, just like, is it worth it? Is it worth me like coordinating to get this next one? Ah, oh, fuck it. Let's just go home. <laughs> yeah, totally. And they did. Like, uh, I think they were, that was it. That was the emotional crescendo, as someone pointed out. And, uh, before we go on, though, Waffles had a role to play. Were you uh, in BTEC R at all, uh, Apothne? Um, so. I have a weird personal story about Beta Car. Beta Car, um, uh, the day it happened was a social meet for the brass band at uni I was in at the time. And I was on a table surrounded by some very pretty young women. And I'd never drunk any alcohol before in my life. And I was surrounded by very pretty young women. And my good friend Joe said, hey, Tom, have you ever had a shot? And I went, no. And of course, peer pressure happened. And many, many shots happened. So I come home absolutely blasted for the first time in my life i come on comms start chatting i'm like one of the main fcs of the waffles at the time and every i've never heard waffle comms so serious i was so incredibly drunk and everyone's screaming at me to shut the hell up and get out because serious things are happening um 
So I ended up running a skirmish fleet of Taloses to go. I think we were chasing after a few Razor Dreads that had got stuck somewhere or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I just kind of like passed out in my bed after a couple of hours. And it, and apparently a sign cloud was made, which the, a certain person keeps linking somewhere, which annoys me. But uh, yeah. yeah. Well, because uh, it was kind of a solemn time because a lot of the Titans that were dying were Titans that had been around a long time. These were some old war horses so it was kind of emotional uh i can imagine the clash of the party boy coming into a situation like that because i was in comms too and it was like a little bit solemn at times it was a long time so that you know the mood changed and stuff but uh yeah it, it was very the history was not lost on the other side either i remember at one point um shrike was there and yeah. and um people were telling the story of the earliest titans and and who Shrike was and what that meant. And uh, um, it was, you know, it was a, yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah. Lady Scarlet was there too. She might've been one of the first Titans killed and she had one of the most expensive Titans of the time, but it got killed and didn't generate a proper kill mail. So it came up empty, like there was nothing in it. So people thought she was driving an empty Titan, but actually a lot of the stuff was really expensive. And Shrike is there. And so, you know, a bunch of other Titans that had been there for Sometime you can see all that if you visit VTech Art because they put up, as you know, a graveyard for it, and you can see a list of all the Titans that died. Shadu logged in at that point too. He couldn't get his super in, but he and I were flying around in like little things that would kill Dictors, uh, just because we were waiting for our caps to, like get in the system. So uh, we flew around for about an hour. I think we killed three Dictors, and she was like, "Well." not playing this game for a little bit. I just warped off <laughs> and he was smugging like the whole time because, uh, he was saying now because of this, my Titan is the oldest one left in the game. <laughs> so, uh, he was pretty smug that, uh, I know he's got the oldest Leviathan left in the game, but he's, he's still pretty sure because of that, that he now has the oldest Titan. That's hilarious. And as it was going on, because you were saying it's so slow paced. I know at the time, a lot of PL about, probably at least half or a third of the fleet. We're just playing other games and then saying, oh shit, like alt tabbing over, pushing buttons, then alt tabbing right back. That's uh, that's how it went for, for a lot of people. But then you had the, the, like, the logistics people who spend like hours micromanaging everyone's cap and, and getting people fuel because yeah. they'd run out of fuel to doomsday, uh, which is kind of ridiculous. Yep. Yeah, you had to be close enough in the right race and stuff like that. Very interesting gameplay that you don't think about, even in tie-dye. Yeah. And um, it was very hard to move uh, yeah. your super cap around to get to a, a Titan to refuel it. Really hard. Bubbles everywhere, slow as hell. Yeah. So one of the things that Waffles did, and that's why I turned to Apothne, is that they were instrumental in trying to free up Titans so that they could jump out at a certain point. Yeah. Um, Waffles did a bunch of uh, bombing runs. I think that was led by Galastian Carnid, who was the guy who screamed at me to get the hell out of channel after about three seconds of me joining it. So I thought, oh, serious things are happening. But yeah, um, despite being in Waffles at the time, I can take zero credit for anything Waffles did that night. Hey, man, you were there. Uh, so it all counts. I was there too. Actually, I was living in BTAC R at the time. That was my home station. That's where all my stuff was. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of like, whoa, this is happening in my home station. That's crazy. So I couldn't get the, much of my stuff. Um, you know, because that's where I used to mine. It was a mining colony. It was a quiet backwater mining colony that was hard to get to before interceptors could fly right through bubbles, you know. 
uh, you could really secure it pretty well, except for capitals. If, but it was uh, Sino jammed, I think. Uh, okay, so BTECR happens. We should probably end there and get to some news that's actually happened this week. Again, this is all information that hopefully I'll be able to cover at eVegas when I do a presentation Saturday at noon. Maybe after Vegas, we'll have the second part of this, which is since BR, BTECR, what's happened, because uh, a lot has happened since then as well. All right. So moving on to uh, player news about what's been going on. Let's uh, talk about the big news, which is that MC lost to Keepstar today, just recently. And yeah, we've gotten to this part, this point in EVE now, where losing a Titan is not news anymore. It's no big deal. But losing a Keepstar is still a, a big deal, is a big deal. It is what a Titan was like back then, right? Yes. Uh, it's And in and this particular case is a, a very interesting and different story. Um, there's a, yeah, McLeod has put a link up to the story on INN about it. But, um, uh, you know, I wonder, what does anyone know why? Uh, the the MC folks were online, well, anchoring and unanchoring and anchoring and unanchoring their Keepstar repeatedly? Well, um, from what I understand talking to Reva earlier, because the one they presented me with the information, that it, it was first done accidentally. Uh, and once it was done accidentally, it was kind of um, something that they just kind of did as a troll for a while. And I don't know if that was to entice people or to, you know, wave it in front of them. I don't know. Uh, could have just been, but what was happening is they were delaying the unanchoring of it over and over again. And then somebody forgot to push the button to delay it again, and it actually unanchored. And so then everybody jumped into uh, crisis mode because it turns out Initiative was there kind of watching it. So they uh, signed in some subcaps. In comes a freighter to pick up the Keepstar, because Keepstar is now, you know, a box. Um, they put it in the keep star. Sorry, they put it in the freighter, and initiative brings in a bunch of dreads, and the dreads really just kind of smoke the freighter. Um, at that point, NC, which is nearby, and MC, that's Mercenary Coalition, Northern Coalition, bring in um, force auxiliaries to heal up the freighter that's carrying the keep star, but it wasn't enough, and so it went kaboom. And I think the initiative were able to to loot um, the freighter, but they did blow up the wreck thus killing the Keepstar. So that's kind of an interesting... Well, it dropped a... It had the wreck, but it also had a can next to it with the fittings in it. Oh, so okay. So they blew up the wreck that had the Keepstar, and, and no one got to loot it. But they did, uh, after, after uh, uh, securing the battlefield, they were able to bring in some ships to loot some of the fittings from the can. That's my understanding. I wasn't actually there. That makes yeah, that makes sense because I couldn't figure out how they destroyed the wreck and then had the loot, and so that makes much more sense. So they they put the stuff into the can. Okay, um, but what's interesting about that is it belonged to Suez, uh, who is shut, shut up and shave Suez. Same guy. He's the guy that sings uh, "Little Bees" to to the tune of "Let It Be" by the Beatles. Um, but he had since moved over to away from goons and moved over to mercenary coalition. So it was his private keep star. That's my understanding of. He's a really long time old storied player, and it's it's ironic in some ways that the thing he's most well known for is singing that song. <laughs> yeah, I think it crystallized 
uh, goons at a certain time. But yeah. He was so, one of the few people who taught me how to fly a, a capital ship in a su- well, super capital ship. He was, uh, yeah. He's a, a pretty incredible talent uh, in EVE Online for his, his tolerance for uh, people who don't necessarily do things the right way or correctly. Like, you know, a lot of times you have these uh, sound bites of FCs just, or FCs just exploding at someone for making a mistake or saying, how could you do this wrong, et cetera, et cetera. He's, uh, I mean, he does have those moments as well, but he understands how to get the most out of uh, someone who doesn't have like the best piloting skills or the best whatever, uh, which is why his alliances and his groups are always like wildly successful in a way. And uh, it's pretty cool to see him still around. It sucks that he lost the keep star, but uh, from what I understand, nobody kind of knew it was anchor unanchoring today. Like just people forgot, just literally forgot. Uh, but props and or to initiative to kind of keep a keep an eye on it and capitalize from it. That's a group who's doing really really well and staying under the radar the last probably uh, like eight to twelve months is the initiative. They're doing yeah. a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, they're inventive. Don't, don't bring it up though. They don't want the attention. Yeah, they're inventive. Uh, it's, it's kind of the sexy group to be in these days. You know, yeah, I agree. They, I agree. Very they, sexy. They're, they're very much taking the mantle from uh, from Black Legion. I think uh, for for their plucky young ways, uh, they are part of the uh, the CFC though. So you know, it's you can only give them so much credit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, uh, Black Legion did the same thing. So there's no. Yeah. But that Keepstar wasn't the only big expensive thing lost this week. Mm-hmm. Um. Can I get can I McLeod, can I get you to put the link up for the kill mail for the fiend? Um, a, a rare alliance tournament ship called a fiend, which is basically a of a, a super rare faction heavy interdiction cruiser. Um, it died to rats, uh, and it died to to bugged rats that the guy couldn't put up on his overview to see him, to see that they were shooting him. Uh, and didn't, um, didn't, or and he, didn't know about them. Both. Uh, ironically, probably both. But he, but he petitioned CCP, and they, um, they looked at the case, and they looked at the bug on the rats, and they fixed the bug. And then they uh, replaced his ship for him. Uh, including a huge number of kill marks that he had on the ship. So uh, uh, unusual case there. Very interesting. But so check a, out his fit. It's beautiful. That's an interesting thing about uh, about rarity in EVE Online, right? Like if you lose the ship, who cares? You can get another one, even if there's only like 50 remaining in the game or 48 remaining in the game. But it's the kill marks that really set it apart, right? It, it separates it from a, a fiend that just collects dust from a, a fiend that gets used. And it becomes that much cooler uh, just because it's got kill marks to the point where it, it uh, necessitates having those like, kill marks restored when the ship dies. Yeah. And well, in addition to that, there were other ships lost this week in EVE. I mean, a Ragnarok. Uh, 11 super carriers and and two vehements. I think this is the first week where two vehements have gone down in the same week. But uh, and each one of those is the cost of a super carrier too. And they're just they're just dreadnoughts. Other yeah. news this week. Um there've been some large corporation moves. 
So think of this a little bit like when major talent moves from one corporation to another corporation in, in real life. Uh, it's a little bit like that. Uh, Thorn Syndicate, famous uh, big corp in Circle of Two. And, and a second one, actually, Sphere Rike, both joined NC Dot this week. Hmm. Also, Black Serpent Technologies left the culture and joined NC Dot as well. NC Dot's on a roll this week. Um, yeah. And that's the second large corp to leave the culture in the past month. Um, uh, about a month ago, Superfluous Wanderlust joined Triumvirate. But overall, looking at, at uh, alliances this week and who's, who's been doing really well, um, especially as uh, a circle of two rapidly shrinks as a part of the transition, the big winners seem to be Test Alliance, Goonswarm, Mordu's Angels, and Northern Coalition Dot. Mazel tov. <laughs> um, so Thorn Syndicate, again, comes from CO2. They have, uh, I think, Beppe, his name, and uh, Lucian James, of course. But also, Riverini is in Thorn Syndicate. So Riverini from Eve News 24 ends up in NC Dot, along with Seraph, who, uh, who joined earlier, too, by being in the right corp at the right time. So congratulations, new alliance mates. And NC Dot, Eve News 24 retirement home, recruiting name. It's certainly, yeah. Well, their editor is still from darkness, but uh, uh, Johan. Anyway, okay. Well, I guess as far as, uh, is that it for player news? There's probably other things that have happened. Yeah, most of the attention's been on Eve Vegas. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm told there's an Eve meetup in Nevada coming up uh, this week. (laughs) Is it Burning Man? (laughs) Uh, I would love to see Eve Burning Man. Yeah, I would too. I would go to that. Wow. There is. um, Facebook would love that. E-Vegas next weekend, so there won't be a show. Sorry, Talking in Stations won't be on next Saturday, but we will try to put some broadcasts up here and there. But there will be one in two weeks. So we're going to take a one-week vacation. We'll be in E-Vegas. We're going to have a breakfast for all the people that are in E-Vegas, and that is uh, 9 o'clock Friday morning. 9 o'clock Friday morning at the Hash House. You can come meet us if you're there by nine o'clock. We'll all sit down together. Otherwise, you may wait in a line for people wanting to get to brunch. You should actually probably be there at 8.30 so you can get into the same group. Okay, so if you're in Vegas, join us, Talking In Stations, for our breakfast. Who's going to eat Vegas besides Carneros and me? I will be there. It'll be great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we'll see you there. Dirk will be there for sure. Guys from Open Comms will be there. And for this eat Vegas, is that the tchotchkes will be better. Because I've been seeing, there's a little back channel for people excited about eVegas where um, alliance leaders are kind of putting pictures of the tchotchkes that they're making for it. Might be shirts or it might be shot glasses or um, inscribed flasks and things like that. You know, I have a, let's see if I could do this. I have some little bastion uh, laser etched uh, wine openers because people who know me know that I like wine. And when I was at CCP, my name was CCP Zinfandel. So we're giving some of those out to, to friends. Awesome. Yeah, there's well, a lot of fun stuff. I'm super excited. I'm getting I'm getting pumped up, I have to admit. I'm a, it's always qualified with a lot of nervous wrecking the speech, which I want to lower everybody's expectations. It may be a disaster. But uh, for all the people that aren't going to be there, we want to give you something too. So we're going to try to record stuff and uh, put stuff online for you. Uh, so that you guys can feel like you're a part of it as much as we are, because you are. You're all players of Eve. 
Thanks guys for showing up today. Uh, that is all for us this week. We will see you in two weeks for Talking In Stations. <laughs>